Welcome to this season premiere of the Iowa Innovation Podcast, powered by Nuboco. This is the show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I'm Anthony Betters. I am Jessica Abdoni, and today's guest is Malia Gudenkoff, the founder of Little Miss Finance. Yes, uh, so we're going to talk about just the mindset shift that you should have when it comes to finances. Yeah, financial literacy and having that hard conversation with your parents when you decide to follow your dream after a six-figure job. How crazy is that? Wild. There might be also some Dave Ramsey slander, so look forward to that. Please don't hate us. You can if you want. It's okay. (laughs) But you'll have to listen all the way to the end. And so with that, let's innovate, Iowa. Woo! Could you explain what um, LM Finance is? Yeah, so it is a financial education business right now. It's just myself. Um, And I work with individuals to educate them on basic financial literacy. And I also work with businesses to host speaking engagements, again, to educate the employees um, at these workplaces on financial well-being topics, their benefits at work, that sort of nature. Your first job was in corporate wasn't it yep corporate finance okay so tell me about the start of your career you just got out of university and your first job and what led you to the path of being your own boss yeah okay so it's all kind of meshed together so I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa in 2018 and I had my job lined up with Collins Aerospace I'd studied supply chain finance and org leadership so had my job lined up I grew up in a household that didn't necessarily talk about finances, very middle class, wasn't talking about finances with my friends or my family, like nowhere in life. So there was a guy on campus who was doing free financial literacy classes. And I was like, I have this job lined up. I should take advantage of these resources so I can figure out what I'm doing with this salary I'm about to come into. So went to those classes and became basically addicted to this information because I was like, wow, this is necessary for our entire lives, but I haven't talked about this anywhere in my life before. Uh, So started just consuming all the education I could find within books, podcasts, um, social media, uh, but I was really drawn to books. So read a ton of books and then went forth, graduated, went to Collins Aerospace to work in um, corporate finance in their financial leadership program and was putting into practice what I was learning. And within 10 months of graduation, I had paid off $20,000 of my student loans, uh, which was very exciting. Yeah. So I was like, wow, it's working. Whatever I'm doing is working. And yeah. I want to continue to share this with other people. So that's when in May of 2019, I created Little Miss Finance as a blog and started just sharing my journey on there, writing about what I was doing in hopes that maybe someone else would want to listen or learn, whatever it may be. And I accidentally really created a business at that point because a lot of young women um, were like, oh, wow, I'm in a similar situation. I relate to you. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Um, So was doing that on the side of working in corporate finance and came to um, a head in August of 22 that I left to do this full time to give it a shot and see where it could go. What Mm -hmm. an incredible jump because I know that you shared that you were making as anyone incorporate a chunk of change yeah. to say the a big least. chunk of change uh, um <laughs> yeah and to what i can only imagine you i mean just graduating and um you know having this chunk of change i know from being a broke college student myself um when you get your first salary you're like i'm a millionaire oh my gosh i'm going wild. yeah i'm gonna sh- spend all of this because you never think savings but with you then like 
what was the point of you going, I am ready to sacrifice this like net, the safety net yeah. to follow my passion? What was like, was it just a little seed or was it like something that big happened? And then also to curve around that, what was the conversation like with your parents? Because I Ugh. imagine it might have been awkward. Yeah. Oh my God. You're stopping what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Two really good questions. And okay. So let's start with the reason I was able to take the jump, which was totally in thanks to these personal finance foundations and what I had accomplished. Because when I took the jump, full transparency, I was not making anywhere near I was making six figures before I left this job, not making anywhere near that. Um, but I wanted the time to try. So I saved up a bunch of money mm -hmm. to give myself that time and space to try. Um, and thanks to what I had done in the past four years in corporate investing, paying off debt and saving that allowed me this opportunity to do this. I would never have had the courage to take this jump if I was still working on paying off debt and not that other people can't just me personally and my risk tolerance, I wouldn't have done it. So thanks to the things I was doing, it allowed me this opportunity to try entrepreneurship <laughs> um, full time. Uh, when I decided, which was so scary, like this was, why do I feel like this was one, maybe this is very privileged, but I'm like, this was one of the scariest decisions of my life because mm -hmm. I was on this straight and narrow. Um, I had this safe, comfortable job paying me really well. I was doing really well. And so to like give that all up to try something that was so unknown right. was like made me like so anxious and scared and so even more so was telling my parents because I didn't want them to they're the most my family's the most like um supportive people but I knew they were still they grew up in homes that were lower middle class grow up grew up very poor especially um like you know to the point where was food going to be on the table tonight? So their mindset was just totally different of like, why in the world would you leave this job, your work, like that's so good to try something unknown. Mm -hmm. And again, so supportive, but it was really hard. I didn't really know what to say. Um, and I mean, they're supportive at the end of the day. They're that's my good. biggest champions, but it was just a weird conversation when you come from like different backgrounds, almost in a sense, they're my parents, but very different experiences with money. Mm -hmm derives very different mindsets and outlooks on life. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. And I was always curious because when we were having this conversation and talking with you, I was like, you were so young um, to have that mindset of being financially free. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and like whenever I, whenever I talk about financially free, that means, of course, getting rid of your debt and building mm -hmm. on your investments mm -hmm. um, to where you're being set up in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so now you are be able to create in the sense that generational wealth mm -hmm. and then break that generational curse. Right. Totally. And so whenever I think about you and you're talking about, Oh yeah, like I think it's a, it was, it was kind of an accident. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason yeah. and that somebody yourself has to break that curse and be like, okay, mm -hmm. Hey, yeah, this is where we're going to start. And then the next generation is going to be set for life. Cause I think I saw on your Instagram that you have like, um, I think it's your niece, two-year-old or mm -hmm. something like that, that you're already getting investments in, is that right? <laughs> yeah, she's six months. Generational wealth is like such an incredible opportunity. And my parents, the way they grew up, have miraculously set themselves up well. Um, and will, you know, there's bleed into us, but even this next level of, yeah, I have a six-month-old niece and we're already oh. investing on her behalf. Just because- Richer than me already. <laughs> <laughs> this education you consume. And one thing, like not to get tactical, but time is the biggest asset you have when it comes to investing. Yeah. So in her case, and this is a big myth a lot of young people, I think, understand is I'll start investing when I make more um, mm. or like 
when basically when I make more. Yeah. Time is more important than necessarily the dollar amount you can invest, mm. especially at a young age when your time horizon's so long. So she's six months old. We're not investing thousands of dollars a month for her, mm. but 20 bucks like here and there. Yeah. By the time she's 18, leave that till she's ready to retire. Mm. You know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. So. I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember my dad when I first, and I started at New Boca, it was my first job. And he's like, max out that like 401k, your retirement plan. I was like, oh, but the, I don't, you know, that's, I won't get it till I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the retirement age will be when I am mm -hmm. ready to retire, but it's so true. You have to start investing for yourself later on, but it is really hard to get into that mindset when you're so young. Mm -hmm. So with you and, um, helping, are your main clients like people who are in their twenties or is it in a wide range of people who are now like maybe later in their twenties or thirties who are like, Oh crap, I don't have any knowledge of like finances or how wealth works. So like, do you have different approaches to how you help those clients? Yeah. A majority of my clients are young women. I've worked with people all across the board. I mean, I'm about to start working with a couple that's in their fifties right mm. now. So worked with men, women, old, young, but the foundation of my business, since I'm not a certified financial planner working, you know, in asset management or something like that, the foundation of my businesses is my my business is my experience and what I've gone through. And that's what I'm really comfortable talking about. So as a young woman, you know, I've only experienced so much. So naturally what I'm talking about is that and that attracts other people in a similar stage of life. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, financial illiteracy, while there are systemic issues, it really doesn't discriminate among age, gender, uh, race, income level. Like everyone is struggling. You could have people making multiple six figures struggling, mm. whatever it may be. So um, all across the board, I've worked with people, but a lot of them are young women, I would say. For yeah. sure. And Jessica, you kind of touched on this. Um, but of course, I was doing my research on you um, <laughs> and I was looking through your Instagram again and I saw your most viewed Instagram post, I think it was like over like 188,000 people have viewed this. Mm -hmm. It talked about um, why there shouldn't be a specific age that you should re like mm. be planning to retire. Mm -hmm. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, yeah, Jessica said this about I don't know what the retirement age is going to be. And this is kind of another myth. And it's really hard for young people to step a little bit away from this instant gratification lifestyle and mm. be like, oh, I'm supposed to invest for retirement, which is 40 years away. It's too mm. long away for people to grasp the importance of it and prioritize it. But one thing is that retirement is not so much an age as it is a number. And Anthony, you said financial freedom earlier. That's a point at which you have enough money that makes you money that you don't have to um, actively necessarily work for it. So that's a number. And um, without getting like too tactical about things, it's created through investing your money and time and compound interest. So once you get to that amount of investments, that's going to yield uh, the interest that you need to live. You've achieved financial independence. That could be at age 35, 40, 65, 85. So it's a little bit of a mindset shift that I always try to educate people on to help them understand that based on your actions and what you're doing, you can move the needle on that timeline of age and mm -hmm. what you need, the lifestyle you live, all that sort of thing. So retirement is a number, not necessarily an age. That's good stuff. And so you said this twice already, but could you uh, remind or like update our listeners on what exactly is compound interest? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Compound <laughs> interest. I, my business is also really focused on 
trying to create jargon-free conversations. <laughs> and I say that sometimes if I'm a financial interpreter because it's you have these words that are like so jargon. As I as learned like, that somewhere, but I don't yeah, remember exactly what And it is. it's like that's what pr- is the drives the confusion mm-hmm. from people. And then just the like giving up, like, I don't know what that means. I'm never going to understand it. But mm-hmm. so here, very simply, compound interest is uh, you have $10, say it earns 10%. That's another dollar. Now you have $11 invested. That earns 10%. That's $1.10. And so it's just really a snowball downhill of your money, earning money, earning money. And the more time you have, the more fast and big that snowball can get downhill. So that's essentially what compound interest is. Do you do math, Jessica? Do I do math? Yes. Someone, (laughs) history, English, journalism, communication major. I had to take one math class for my university degree and I took it my senior year and I'm not kidding I cried (laughs) I cried in front of my counselor because I was like I can't do math but that's the thing I never took finance classes I remember like my senior year of high school taking like oh gosh I don't even think it said finance I think it was just like a business course and I always thought like all these jargon words like stocks bonds buy now sell low like I always thought that was for someone who to the moon yeah Mm -hmm. didn't look like me were like Mm -hmm. men in suits or you know women who wore pumps to like wore like sneakers um when they were traveling to work and then like got into their pumps when they were like at work like that's my mindset of what all this looks like so it's nice that when you are meeting women or you know young people who are like my age in our early 20s and being like no you can Mm -hmm. start building wealth it's just sometimes you just get overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with the amount of information and totally your paycheck can be so small I mean right now a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck so what is the first like tangible step that you can give someone question yeah that's a really good question and I understand and I hear the overwhelm and confusion because I was definitely there and it's about sifting out and finding the right people who communicate it and like resonate yeah. with you finding those right Layman resources because there's a lot of people yeah. talking about it you ha- kind of have to sift through some of the bs to find your people that you're going to learn best from but my like a first piece of advice if you're listening to this you feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck and you want to start to wrap your arms around your financial situation would be one It's like heavy and it's emotional, but you got to take stock of like the current reality of what's going on. So a very simple practice I always advise to people is go back and track your spending from the past month. And again, I know a lot of us might have a lot of resistance or anxiety (laughs) to opening up that bank account or whatever it may be, but you've got to acknowledge what's in front of you or there's no foundation to create realistic and sustainable results to move forward. Mm -hmm. So Tracking your spending from last month looks like downloading that bank statement or whatever form of spending you use, credit cards, and just organizing things so you can have a clear picture of here's how much I'm spending on transportation, food, housing, um, whatever it may be that applies to your life. And from there, you can decide, you know, what things am I spending on that are aligned with my values? I want to continue to do that. And what are? And maybe that's where you can step back a little bit um, to you know, further your goals towards that payoff saving, whatever it may be, but just tracking your spending and getting a reality of what's going on right now. Yeah. Stop mm. treating your debit card like um, a <laughs> gift card. We're like, I don't know how much is on here, but we're going to try it anyway. Yeah. Malia, what I heard you just say is be real and be honest with yourself. Yeah. And then like, if you're in debt, you know, you need to get either get some help or you just need to be honest and try to figure out how you can get yourself out of that. So you won't keep digging yourself mm-hmm. in that hole over and over and over yeah. again. The anxiety and like the the emotion and the heaviness and the shame that so many people yes. car- carry with their finances is very common. We all probably have an aspect of that, but 
as much as you continue to give yourself grace and understand, you know, what can I now do to move forward and how can I acknowledge this? There's two ways to continue to, you know, pay off debt, save, invest more, decrease your expenses or more so that a lot of times we don't talk about is increase your income. Mm. A lot of times we're in this, like we're in this restrictive state of mind. Like, how do I spend less? I shouldn't be spending all this money. But oftentimes frugality isn't always going to be the path to building, you know, massive wealth. It's going to be increasing your income. So we've got to keep both of those things on our mind and figure out how we can simultaneously do both while still enjoying our life and spending on the things we value and love because that's important too. Yeah. And so uh, you, you have any siblings? I do. I'm in the middle of three girls. So I got two sisters. Okay. Oh, wow. And so with that, have you taught or did any of your siblings kind of teach you anything about finances before you went into your uh, entrepreneurship? Endeavor? I was the teacher. I When I started going through these classes, these free community classes on campus, I would be emailing my sisters and even my mom and be like, did you guys know this? Like, yeah. <laughs> we just never talked about it before. And luckily, like somehow my mom instilled, you know, we all had some sort of student loans, but um, my parents did a good job somehow along the way for not talking about it, still setting us up for success in a way. But I've taught them um, a lot along the way and they've equally taught me a lot. So, yeah. That's your good. S- your sister, I think, was at, was it Grace? Yeah, right? my younger sister, Grace. Yeah, like, your parents must be so proud because Grace actually spoke at One Million Cups um, last month or this month. I'm so sorry. Um, and she has an investment with housing and, like, property. And I just mm-hmm. think that is incredible because that's, like, oh, gosh, someone who doesn't own a home. It's just, it just to be able to have that kind of mindset of I am going to invest in mm-hmm. and see like build it up, you know? Yeah. So yeah. did, it's... did that come from you? Did you, do you have a piece of that pie? With the <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to take credit for her, but, um, no, she, both my sisters have done incredibly well in their careers. My younger sister owns and manages. She's also an entrepreneur, um, her own real estate portfolio. Uh, and that as a result, I mean, she will say that, I helped her with some of these personal finance foundations, pay off her student loans, get her spending in check. Um, and that led her to the opportunity to have some money to invest in her first property and allow that snowball to come to start rolling. And in turn, she's taught me about investing in real estate. And I've now done that again, thanks to the foundations I've had and the savings for it. So, and my older sister as well invests in real yeah. estate. So, uh, yeah, it's all been full circle now, uh, wow. just teaching each other and supporting each other to. Dang. Yeah. And so, so well. <laughs> and this is what just keeps pondering on my mind because I have a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And you uh, do? I do. Oh my gosh, Anthony. I'm on top of my stuff I here. Well, I had to make you. sure I was on top of it before I came and talked to Malia. <laughs> um, but I remember he was telling me, and you tell me your thoughts on this yeah. as well. Uh, before I start investing um, or while I'm investing, I should have money saved up. But that money that I should be having saved up should be at least three to six months Mm. worth of of what exactly? I don't know how to explain that. You're financially literate over here. A little bit. (laughs) So, okay. So what you're alluding to is an emergency fund. So that's really the first and foremost Mm. thing that we can do to protect ourselves and have this little Mm. bit of safety net. Because if we dive right into investing or paying off debt, an emergency happens, which naturally in life, unfortunately, they do. And we don't have any money for it. We might put that on a credit card. I have an example after this, by the way. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle that maybe a lot of people can relate to. So 
A way to go about that is to determine what three to six months of your living expenses are. So again, that comes back to tracking your spending. How much are you spending every month? Three to six months is going to look different for everyone. Then you have that dollar amount. And I always talk about, you know, to give people some tangible steps, reverse engineer things. So if that's $3,000 for you, decide how is that going to look? If you want to achieve that goal in six months, that's $500 a month, $250 every two weeks, $125 a week. Break it down to what can I do today to get there instead of just being like, I need to save five grand. That's never going to happen. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's the concept of an emergency fund. It's really first and foremost financial goal to give yourself that security blanket and keep your head above water when shit hits the fan basically mm. and you know. i don't i don't know about y'all what happened during the rate show but mm. my apartment was flooded completely really right and so Dang. with that yep i was working and we had no internet i had to drive to i believe davenport just get internet so i can pay uh, my caregivers at the time Jeez. um but within that buffer um, of course, like I was lost on an apartment, like all mm -hmm. my stuff was gone, mm -hmm. you know? And so I had to be able to, of course, pay for hotels and stuff like that until I was reimbursed by my insurance. And so with having that emergency fund, it of course was that buffer to be able to help me out. Um, but I don't know, Jessica, do you have anything like that that happened to you during the rate show? During the derecho? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm very privileged in that <laughs> I am. <laughs> Just let them know. <laughs> I'm very privileged with the derecho. I was not affected. I did. My parents' RV actually did fall on my car. Um, like literally picked itself oh, up and landed on my windshield. But thankfully, I was able to have that fixed. Um, I do have like, funny enough. Well, hmm. Funny, like on the perspective, but like with, you just never know. I think sometimes people think, well, I'm young and um, like, you know, I think some people get on this cloud of having their paycheck and they're like, well, I'll save for next time or next time I will, next paycheck, I'll put this amount. But literally about a month before I got kicked off my parents' insurance for turning 26, I found out I had fibroblastic sarcoma, which is a small tumor on my arm. Thankfully, I could have it, surgery to remove it. And thankfully, that was on my parents' insurance. But afterwards, I was like, okay, for the next five years, I have to go up to the University of Iowa and get scans. Mm -hmm. And someone who is like relative healthy, you know, mm -hmm. um, I could cut back on my caffeine intake, but I was relatively healthy. And now I have, you know, uh, scans that I have to pay for. And so you just think of these, you never think of that. And so now I have to, when I've got my paycheck, I don't have that privilege of going, well, I don't have to worry about medical bills, you mm -hmm. know, and you do. So I think um, having that safety net is the biggest, like nicest thing that you can do for yourself in that kind of like, um, Oh, self-care in yep. a way, because I'm always that person. I think we chatted before and I think a lot of people will relate, especially now you just want that instant gratification of something like that hit of dopamine, that shopping or getting the newest best iPhone or even just like going to Target and just letting Target choose things for you. Or just, you know, just being on Amazon. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. The easiness know, of I it. I mean, I'm not calling out my girlfriend Cynthia or anything, but. <laughs> no, this is, we're not dragging Cynthia. <laughs> Poor Cynthia. This is a, we are not, I love you, Cynthia, and I'm so sorry, okay? I'll, <sighs> but yeah, it's, we live in a society where it's like you have, with TikTok and everything. Yeah. So how or, yeah. do you, um, I know that you probably, you're not a therapist, but how do you uh, get those like um, those shopping addictions mm. or those just like that, 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 that instant gratification that you get in the back of your mind, like your, your, yeah, yeah. it's, it's help it's me. Tough. <laughs> no, it's tough. A lot of time with finances, we want to talk about like the numbers and like 
reverse engineer all these numbers so it works but finances are so much more emotional and behavioral mm. than they are just numbers or math and so we've we're doing ourselves an injustice if we dive right into things without acknowledging these deeper rooted issues or childhood um responses and yes. development to the way we view money and treat money and all that sort of thing so a couple things to identify and like recognize the root of some of these like spending habits and again yeah I'm not a therapist I'm still all constantly doing this work with myself but back to even the the spending tracking is it's so important to align your spending with your values so you can give yourself permission to spend on things you love instead of being in this constant state of like shame buyers are more shame like you shouldn't do that you're broke There's just this whole negative cycle is even just looking at all that spending and doing this very simple practice of identifying okay what what sort of like long-term fulfillment um gratification am i receiving from these areas so what's what's my, what do i value that i'm spending my money on mm -hmm. and what do i not feel that same thing like ask yourself the question if if i you know said don't spend on that much don't spend on that like next month is that going to be the end of the world for you or is that going to be like okay no problem a really problematic i feel like piece of advice in the financial Literacy world is this whole concept of like stop buying coffee out every day. And I get it. I'm not a Jessica. I'm not a coffee drinker. <laughs> so it's easy for me to be like, yeah, stop buying coffee. You're wasting so much money. But to me, I don't value it. I don't drink it. It doesn't matter to me. It causes me no pain for someone mm -hmm. to recommend that to me. To someone else, that might be like truly the highlight of their day yeah. and like so valuable for them. So in that case, recognize that. Fine, do that. But recognize the other areas you're yeah. spending your money that don't have that same impact. And that's where you can like maybe rein it in a little bit. But I know I diverted a little bit. No, you didn't. It's a constant reflection on, you know, your money story, why you have the responses you do. It's probably all deeply rooted in our childhoods mm -hmm. and our upbringing and our mm -hmm. surroundings, all that sort of thing. So um, I feel like when you said like the childhood thing, I mean, I had a great childhood, but I remember in elementary school and middle school, um, w like we went thrifting when, when it wasn't cool kids, like when it wasn't, it's you know, cool. Though. Yeah. And so now whenever, and I remember always going to the store and going straight to the sale rack as everyone does, like this isn't trauma, but you know, now as an adult, I'm like, I can afford that really nice dress. Well, I think I can, I can afford it, but really I should cut back. But I but that's very um, interesting that like the level of shame that comes to it too. Like people aren't going to share how much credit card debt they're mm -hmm. in because mm -hmm. there is a level of shame. But mm -hmm. I think be, being more open about it and just realizing that it happens. I think I read like astounding st statistic that more people are in credit card debt than you realize. And oh, people sure. are suffering in their own way financially, mm -hmm. despite whether they look like it or not. So mm -hmm. addressing that... Um, is it just makes you feel more free, I guess. Yeah. And it's always a constant for me, especially in the world of social media and being influenced. And we were just talking about this offline. The aesthetic videos we're seeing every day and mm. influenced by and like. They're fake. Oh, they just so, want your attention. They're so fake. And you <laughs> have to decide what success looks like for you. Amen. So like, I don't know if that's writing it down or it's whatever it is, but like. In the world of influencing, just you have to know 
what you value success? Is it travel? Is it buying X, Y, whatever it may be? There's no right or wrong answer. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. There's no shame. If it's buying designer handbags, like then have at it. Anthony. Whatever. Gucci. I don't I don't care what you spend your money on as long as it's in line with your values mm-hmm. and you are on this path and you are also you know, allowing some money to be saved and invested, that sort of thing. But define what success looks like for you or you're going to go broke flat out chasing someone else's version of it. Uh, yes, exactly. Hey, that, is, that is good. That's a good way to put it. We need to coin that and put that somewhere. <laughs> that, that was really good. But since we're on the topic of the D word, debt. Oh my gosh. I was like, what are we? <laughs> <laughs> is there what is called good debt? Oh. Is there good debt? Yeah. Okay. So... He, I've had different perspective on this based on the different education I've consumed and my growth. I would have told you like a couple of years ago, right out of college at like, I want to be debt free forever. I want to pay off my yeah. house as fast as I can. So I was consuming education from a specific financial literacy person who name him. All debt is bad. Dave Ramsey. Oh my God. <laughs> you you said he's bad. Hold up. I think that Dave Ramsey helps a lot of people and people have found a lot of success. I think that he also tends to um, teach in a way that is like shame driven. And then his uh, his product is going to help you fix that. I don't think it works. It's worked for some people. I don't Mm -hmm. think it works for a lot of other people. I want to create a really safe, shame free space to Mm -hmm. help educate people. And I just have a couple different opinions than him as I've grown and I've learned more and evolved as everyone's allowed to change. Yeah. Good debt. So now that I've also invested in real estate, I've realized debt can be leveraged as a tool to earn income, Mm -hmm. which can be a slippery slope depending on, you know, how people take that and run with it. Um, But a mortgage, especially, you know, as a, a real estate investor is a piece of, of debt that can be good and it can allow you to, grow your wealth credit card debt um other type of consumer debt not necessarily always good Mm. (laughs) right and the only reason i talk about that because i remember um i went to des moines to the black and brown summit last week i believe Uh and they were talking about debt and they were talking about just different ways of how you how you can leverage debt yeah um and how some people of course they they see it as just this dark space of um what they should do but there are some wealthy people that they take that risk and get in debt only because they will be able to see their return of yeah. investment yep. later down the line yeah i hear and this is my experience only there really is no right or wrong when it comes to using debt as a leverage as a tool to build wealth whether it's like a line of credit to start a business or to invest in real estate taking on a mortgage I personally found that being like consumer debt free, I had student loans paid off, no car loan, no credit card loans before I used debt as yes. a tool is something I would do over and over again for myself. I know some people who invest in real estate, for example, to pay off student loans or whatever it may be. Mm. Again, talking about my own risk tolerance, which is personal for me, I wanted to you know, have these personal finance foundations and be debt free at that consumer level before using it as a tool to leverage to build more wealth. I found that to be the least riskiest way and the most comfortable way for me to use it. So take with take from that what you want. But I think having p- solid personal finance foundations before you start getting into a little bit more complicated type manners of building wealth, yeah. of starting your own business, investing in real estate, whatever it may be, will do you 
worlds of good. Right. I don't know why I'm still a little salty about what you said about Dave Ramsey because oh I, I look forward to hearing those debt free screams. I know. <laughs> I and that's why like I'm just you have personal finance creators that are like so anti Dave Ramsey. I think there's some problematic things, but I will continue to say I think he's helped a lot of people. I've read his books, I've learned things from him. It's all about, like I said earlier, finding the people that speak to you mm-hmm. and you resonate mm-hmm. with. So if you're finding and he's working for you, then great. Like I'm so happy. He's not for working that. for me. I just Ellen want. <laughs> I just I just want to put a thing that you know, if anyone's listening and they're a Dave Ramsey fan, or if Dame Ramsey happens to be listening to this, please don't come for us because we can't handle you, it. Um, we love. <laughs> we're very. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> we can't handle it. Um, but yeah, it's it's just yeah. Who works for you? And yeah, I think that's exactly. why you have such a cool niche in this market for financial um, help and providing literacy for people because you are relatable. You're not this man who you know or woman who has is a millionaire unless you are mm-hmm. and you're just not, not yet mm. not yet baby but you know <laughs> i feel like i can approach you about these things and not feel like shame and yeah. that's what i think a, why you are building such a great successful business um because you're very knowledgeable but you're not throwing it in people's faces and saying listen like you are terrible you, it's horrible that you're doing this like stop eating avocado toast that's why you can't afford a house <laughs> dave ramsey um so Thank you so much for being Thank on here. You. And I want to give you the chance to plug all of your social media, especially your TikTok that Anthony is a big fan of. <laughs> I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Little Miss Finance. Um, I work with individuals one-on-one. I also consult and speak at businesses um, to come in and do professional development, financial well-being. So if you are in either of those realms and you need some help with personal finances or guidance, I'm your gal. Uh, find me on social media, websites, thelittlemissfinance.com. And I will be more than happy to hear from you and chat with you. Malia, we appreciate you. We appreciate I appreciate you, you guys. So much. Thanks for this having me. the Little Miss Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to our guest, Melia Gudinka from Little Miss Finance for coming on the show. If you want to follow her or contact her, um, her social media handle is Little Miss Finance. You can also visit her website at littlemissfinance.com. Yes. And if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a good review, not a bad one. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog to find the key takeaways summarized and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com. Finally, we would love if you could consider a donation to Nuboco. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. Oh, and just a reminder, if you want to hang out with Malia, me, and Anthony, come to Entrefest, June 8th and 9th in Iowa City. It's two full days with over 50 speakers and topics like entrepreneurship, marketing, AI, scaling your business, and so much more. You guys, it's my third year at Entrefest, and I love it. It's great for business professionals at any level, nonprofits, community leaders, educators, and teachers, and even little old people like me. Um, It's been around for 15 years. Plus, Iowa City, you can't go wrong. There's so much to do there. It's $199 and includes breakfast, lunch, and happy hour. So get your tickets before they sell out. Entrefest.com slash tickets. That was good shit. I, I don't need to say anything on that. Yeah.
Do I? That was good shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end it there. <laughs>